Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Well, I am thrilled to be back in the studio. It's been several months. Welcome back. It's Best of Health Radio by Barb Regis, Ask the PA. It's uh, the holiday season, and I really felt strongly that I wanted to have a show where we could talk about things that may be a little bit uncomfortable to talk about, but could end up being gifts for your family and friends in an exponential way. Well, today in the studio, I'm thrilled to introduce to you someone who's been in the studio before with Karen. Her name is Marie Burns, and she's author of Paper Lifesavers series, and she's a certified personal financial planner at uh, Focus Point Planning. Welcome to the studio. Welcome back to the studio, Marie. Thank you. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? I'm I'm probably a little bit uh, uncharacteristic certified financial planner from the standpoint of uh, I have a business major and I have the CFP designation and all the licensing, but this is my second career. I tease my clients that I used to help people balance diet and exercise because mm-hmm. I was a registered dietitian. So now I help them balance their finances instead. So it's really all about behavioral, even financial success. They say is 20% head knowledge and 80% behavior. And I've actually found it more rewarding to work with people on the financial side versus the diet and exercise side. Just from the standpoint of a lot of, not all, but a lot of finance, you can set it and forget it, so to speak. You get something in place or you set something on automatic, whether it's a deduction or contribution or rebalancing, for example, from an investment standpoint or even the documents for estate planning. And then you should revisit it periodically, but not every day. Whereas eating and exercise is half a dozen decisions a day that you can get wrong. An hour when it comes to eating sometimes. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So a little more uh, easy to feel successful at uh, the financial side of behavior, I think. Uh, What's the average age of your client? Mostly 50 plus year olds. And it's it's human nature. They say the average American starts to think about retiring at about age 52. And of course, it's all about averages. The average American has only 50,000 or so saved toward retirement. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, both of those numbers are not as good as they should be, but that's human nature. We start to think about and take action on things when we're at that decision-making point. We're getting closer to how much longer do I work? When do I start taking Social Security? How much of a nest egg do I even need? Um, and the, all those kinds of details. So I'm usually talking to folks where money is either in motion or soon to be in motion. And then, of course, because I'm a financial planner, we don't just talk about finance, investments and retirement. We talk about the rest of the your financial planning situation, which has to do with estate planning, what's going to happen to what you have in the end, or if you're incapacitated, the what ifs in life, what happens if I'm disabled or I'm suddenly not here or living as long as I thought I would? Uh, What if I need care down the road? So insurance related kinds of things. And then of course, the the other inevitable in life is taxes. You have to think about taxes along the way. So there's there's lots more than just the investment and retirement piece. So it's really interesting. You wonder why it's age 50 
Well, because many people are procrastinators, I get it. And a lot of people feel like these issues aren't going to happen to them. And I'm really interested in looking at the more of the healthcare side of financial planning. You know, for example, you have someone who is young, who's 20 years old, who's a single mom, who basically is doing the very best she can. And there are things that she can do to better prepare herself. For example, if she would get a diagnosis such as cancer, what are things that that person should think about at age 20? Right. At any age, you, you know, with health especially, there's there's a healthcare power of attorney type of document that is going to talk about who can make my medical decisions if I'm unconscious, for example. Right. And then what kinds of treatment, that living will idea of do I want somebody to stop the feeding or or unplug the, the breathing apparatus in, in what conditions? So those documents really, I and I, I work with an estate planning attorney here that is really trying to target high schools to talk to the parents before they send their kids off to college right. to at least get their health care power of attorney documents signed. Yeah, I think that's really important. And you think of Arizona right now with all the accidents and stuff, all the one-way drivers. And in my career, I've had discussions behind closed doors with patients where, you know, I'll ask them point blank, what would you do? Do you have a living will? And they don't even know what a living will is. And I've been in situations where people were actually um, in comas and things like that. And I've seen the wife and the mother arguing over what to do. And it's interesting, there's research that says that people that are in comas are actually aware of what's going on around them. And so I've always told people, be very careful what you say around people because you never know. And 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 what's really sad is, is that nobody is really thinking of necessarily the patient, the person who's in the coma. They're thinking about themselves and what they think they want and what is right, what is wrong. And a lot of times they can't let go. And I've, I've emphasized to patients like by getting a living will and, and getting your wishes known, even age 16, 18 is the biggest gift that you could give somebody because the decision doesn't have to be on them. Right. They're, they're guessing otherwise. If, right. if it's not been discussed, nobody really knows what you would have wanted. And you're right. Then there's usually a disagreement between family members guessing what those wishes would have been, where if it could be written by the person who is now unconscious, for example, then you at least know it's still not an easy thing to be signing off on or making decisions, but at least you know it's what he or she would have wanted. Right. Yeah. Right. And a lot of times there's differences of opinion. uh, And sometimes I think even more so the parent has a harder time letting go. Oh, sure. Than sometimes the spouse, which is really, really sad. So I think one of the things that I would love people to consider for their betterment of health is just to kind of look into living wills. They're very inexpensive. How can someone prep a living will and how can they do it cheaply? Yep. In Arizona, actually, the um, there's a registry that if you look um, under advanced directives mm-hmm. online for Arizona, there's a directory that they have the form to fill out for mental health and other health 
uh, as far as um, naming a PARB attorney and the living will instructions about what kind of treatment you want. And then you actually send that in to the state office so that they keep it electronically on file. And then you get a wallet card. And it's very helpful because in any medical facility you're in, you can let them know you're registered with the state. They can look up your wishes and it's it's right there. That's a beautiful program. That's it great. really is. It really is. The, there's two power of attorneys. One is this health care that we're talking about with the advanced directives. Mm-hmm. And the other is a financial power of attorney. They call it a durable right. power of attorney. I wish we'd just call it what it is, financial and health care, and then people would understand a little better. Exactly. <laughs> durable, durable. What? But the financial one is same kind of scenario. What if I'm unconscious? Who do I want to be able to pay my bills and take care of the financial side of what needs to still go on while I'm in this bed uh, without me able to do that? And oftentimes, I've heard attorneys joke somewhat to say, you know, the one that you're saying is okay to pull the plug might not be the same one that you want to be writing the checks. Right, exactly. So it's not necessarily the same person. So it's a lot to think about. Right, and I was grateful in the fact that my parents... Well, actually, we had a family situation where my father-in-law had passed away and my parents, they still did not have things in order. And I basically called them out on it and said, it's time for you to get your affairs in order here. And one of the nicest things that happened was that they gave me um, you know, the ability to be their financial power of attorney. So on their checking accounts, it had me listing as the power of attorney in case something would happen so I could just step in there and write checks and keep business as usual. And that really helped us out a lot yes. because a day came where my mom said to me, I can no longer do this. Can sure. you please do that? And it was easy for us to just kind of transition. Right. So there's things like that it's not like you it's your bank account what it is basically is that you have the honor of helping these people continue moving on as their financial power of attorney medical was really interesting too is like when we went to various hospitals and things the first thing i had to do is present that paperwork that was certified the original paperwork uh and and notarized and so a lot of people you may even have those kinds of things but do you know where they are do you know where the originals are? It's really, really important that you know that. And also your healthcare provider can store it in their electronic medical record for you. And at any time you're at any hospital in a period of a few minutes, those documents can get to a hospital, can get to a facility so that people can do their jobs appropriately. I remember we had a situation years ago uh, in the emergency room and we had a gal who basically she was overdosing on drugs and she was a frequent flyer in the emergency room and she overdosed and she started coding and basically they brought her back several times and and she was in pretty bad shape. Mm-hmm. And over a period of three days, I think what I had heard, she coded 16 times. <gasps> they had no legal paperwork in place for anyone to say enough. Sure. And so this poor gal through a period of three days keep going and going and going. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's things that we don't think about, but it's things that actually can can happen to any one of us at any time. And so it's hard to have those discussions. When you, what's your, you know, with your experience with all of your clients, how do these discussions come about? It's it's easy for me because that's part of my job mm-hmm. as their financial planner. That gets asked a lot. And I think the exact situation that you just described, where it happened to 
another family member that you were involved with, which made you in turn start to think and then turn to your parents to say, hey, what do you have in place? This just happened to me in this circumstance is really a good way to broach the subject with whoever it is. You share a story, an experience that somebody else has had. It starts to make you think about yourself and or them, and you start to talk about it from a caring standpoint. Um, Another way to do it is to look at a book or go to a webinar, seminar, workshop and share, oh, by the way, I, I was at such and such, and here's something I learned that I found really interesting, or I was surprised, or I was shocked, or I couldn't believe And here's what I'm realizing I need to do about it for myself. Right. And sometimes just pausing and waiting for them to jump in and say, maybe adding or asking a question about how that might pertain to them is at least a segue into the topic to take it a little bit further about the parent or the grandparent that you might be really wanting to inquire and help with further other than just yourself. That's that's great. Hey, you mentioned a book. Is there any books out there that you know of that might be able to help people start <laughs> with the discussion? Sure. Funny you should ask that. Um, I, I've i been an advisor for almost 20 years, and this whole estate planning concept is on the back burner. It is the area of financial planning that people tend to procrastinate the most because it has to do with thinking about dying, which is not a fun or pleasant no. topic for most people. And so I tongue-in-cheek, but really truthfully say, you know, most people have their will or trust drafted right before they have a child or go on a trip. So, of course, I'm talking to 50-plus-year-olds, and they don't want to have a child. So I say, okay, get a trip on your calendar. (laughs) Exactly. And then, you know, you'll start to think about, oh, what if something happens to us while we're on our trip? Well, we better have these estate planning documents in place. So anyway, over the years, I've put together a checklist that I use with clients to talk about, okay, it's not just a will or a trust. You have these power of attorneys in place. And then that's just the beginning. Do you have the homework done after that? Are the accounts titled appropriately? Are the beneficiary designations matching what the documents say is supposed to happen? So anyway, this checklist has become a book that I wrote in checklist format because we Americans, at least, we don't read anymore. We don't take the time. Right. We're we're too fast-paced. So I created a checklist bullet point book that literally you could read it if you want to sit down and from cover to cover, it's 20 minutes or less, but it's designed to be 15 steps to get your financial house in order from a, what if something happens to me or before the loss of a loved one? Oh, that's great. When did you write it? I wrote it uh, earlier this year. Mm -hmm. It's a before and after. So there's a before financial checklist. Mm -hmm. It's on Amazon ebook or paperback book, and then the after book came out a few months after that. So lots of times I work with widows because they are suddenly in a situation where they didn't deal with the finances before. Maybe the husband Mm -hmm. did, and um, so I have a checklist for what what happens after the loss of the spouse. So that's kind of how that checklist came to life as well. That's great. Is there any future plans for more? Yes, actually, I'm I'm very life event focused because, again, that's when I find people are motivated. They know they're in a situation that they have to do something or make some financial decisions. So I started with the end of life Mm -hmm. where, yes, you're forced to take care of a lot of things. If you lose somebody or right before, maybe they're in the hospital and then things go better, less stressful if you have some things done. So prior to that, I'm looking at and have started work on a before and after financial checklist for retiring, 
for having a child, for getting married, for taking a job. So things to think about and do before and after all of those life events that if we, it's, you know, a lot of times you look back and say, oh, if only I would have known. Oh, so we're trying no to kidding. prevent that. <laughs> and, no kidding. Boy, the, there's a lot of stories there for everybody on that one. And I think, too, the younger the younger generations, they want fast, simple, and, and concrete, and they right. want apps. They want to be able to play with this kind of thing and, and kind of like dabble into what makes most sense for them. And so I'm really excited that, you know, we have so much more accessibility for people to start thinking about their financial planning and their estate of planning and all this kind of stuff. But again, it blows my mind that hardly anyone is thinking about it. Give me a percentage of how many people do you know are planning? Any- well, I, I know the uh, the end of life percentage is 60% of Americans die without a will. Okay. And let's talk about what that means. So if you don't have a will, we've we've touched on some of this, but let's just get to the points. Hey, checkpoints. If you don't have a will, basically what's going to happen is everything is going to go to a grind and it's going to stop. Is that correct? Yes. There's a lot of, um, and every, here, here's the other thing. It's different in every state mm-hmm. and could potentially be different in every county mm-hmm. as far as the process, the time frame, and the potential cost. Right. So. We, yeah, we had a will um, for my father-in-law and it was really interesting. And my, my husband was the executor and we thought we'd be ready to go. Well, not so fast there. We ended up in probate anyway. And can you just allude what that means? And that caused us several, several months of being able to do anything financially to wrap things up for my father-in-law, his house, his finances and stuff like that. Yes. Typical estate settling is six months to three years. And if you have to go through probate, it it can be on that longer end of that range. And so the goal really is to avoid probate. And you do that by having a title on accounts, whether it's a bank or investment or retirement or assets like property, a home, for example, that basically states where is this asset to go if one of the owners is no longer here. So joint with rights of survivorship, for Mm -hmm. example, or if you're a single person, you can put TOD, transfer on death. death, yeah. Or POD, payable on death. So POD, payable on death is a bank type of account. Mm-hmm. TOD, transfer on death, is an investment or property uh, or even vehicle. Arizona lets you put a TOD on your vehicle, on your vehicle title. Interesting. So, yeah. so, so if you don't have um, like a retirement account isn't dictated by the title because it is related to your social security number. You can't mm-hmm. have a joint IRA right. as an example. Right. So then you have to look at the beneficiary designation and there's a primary and hopefully a contingent beneficiary. So whatever the beneficiary designation says is where that IRA or Roth, for example, goes. It does not look at the will and say, oh, what did the will or the trust say? Unless the will or the trust was listed as the beneficiary. Right. Which is not always the best idea, because if it says the will, it has to go through probate to get to the will. Okay. And that's (laughs) kind of what we were, what happened with us. Sure. Now, what happens if if someone went actually with a family trust? What's the big difference and what's the advantage of a family trust? One of the biggest reasons families will use a trust instead of a will, and a lot of times they actually do both, Mm -hmm. a trust will automatically bypass probate. 
And it also keeps everything very private. There's no public record. Right. If you have a will, things can still go through public record through right. the probate process. Some people care about that. Some don't. Uh, a trust can certainly have a lot more wording inside of it as far as control. Mm-hmm. And so some people have special needs or substantial uh, estates or specific uh, distribution requirements or right. intentions or a blended family or special needs child. I mean, all of those can be especially helpful reasons to have a trust in place versus a will. Right. But too often what happens is people have their estate planning document drafted and signed, whether it's a will or a trust or both, and they think, yay, I'm done. I did it. It's off my list. Yep. And it's not. That's the beginning of the homework usually, because now you have to, if you have a trust, you should be going back to your bank accounts and your investments, your non-retirement investments, and retitle those in the name of the trust. That's called funding the trust, which is confusing because it sounds like you're spending money. You're not. You're just changing the account title of those assets so that it doesn't go through probate because now it's owned by the trust, which is still you and your social security number. But if you don't fund it, retitle it, then it has to go through probate to get to the trust in the end. So, which is what you're trying to avoid in the exactly. First place. <laughs> so, the take-home message on this, everybody, is if you're going to have a trust, which to me, from what I've learned just now, and also from family experience, it seems like the thing you should do. Make sure you go the second step and make sure everything's renamed for the trust, so that you can avoid probate. This is a huge tip, everybody. Um, and again, it's for your betterment, for your health, so you're less stressed, so that you know things are in place for your family moving forward. That's a that's a great tip. Thanks for clearing that up for me because I was just blown away. We had a will, we went to probate, and then I heard of someone with the trust that went to probate. And I'm like, okay, when do you? How do you escape probate? Yes, get- all the homework wasn't done apparently, and I don't want to insinuate that everybody needs a trust. That's really a question for your estate planning attorney to have with you, understanding your specific situation. Mm -hmm. You can still avoid probate without a trust, with a will, and then you just have to be sure you title the accounts appropriately and make sure you have beneficiary designations. Right. So all of that can help you bypass probate as well. And I think also, as we talk about that, when it comes to health, when people are starting to have more financial needs towards the end of their life, like they need to go to a nursing home or an assisted living, there's things that happen that are called spend downs. Would you mind defining a little bit about what a spend down means? Sure. That's, um, that's again, uh, an ideal conversation to have right. with an elder law attorney who knows the state's laws. Right. And basically what they're looking at is to see because people are are wondering if they can qualify for Medicaid mm-hmm. without having zero left. Right. And Medicaid requires you to have almost zero left. Right. There's a dollar amount that is still available to be kept for the, the well spouse, the community spouse, whatever you want to call the, if it's a couple, the one that's not receiving care. Right. And there's there's dollars amounts that, that are associated with that. But there are also ways to reclassify assets right. to make them exempt. Right. So that's that's where an elder law attorney can help look at uh, different ways to reassign a life insurance policy mm-hmm. or put some cash into an annuity that's immediately annuitized and then paid out 
to the well spouse, for example, over a short period of time, so that it's not an asset, it's an income stream, which is looked at differently from a qualifying standpoint Mm -hmm. for the one that needs the care. Wow, thanks for sharing that with us. I I think when you look at the big picture here, it's very confusing. It is. And so what we're learning right now is that we need an estate planner. We also need attorneys for especially elder care. Um, my understanding with the state of Arizona from my research is that the spend down is all the way down to about $15,000. So if you have don't have your assets protected years before, it can't be something that you do right when you think grandma's going to die in six months. It's something that has to be prepared for years down the road. Uh, like I said, I'm not a lawyer or anything, but what I'm saying is what we learned as a family was I wish we had done some preparation earlier on sure. because now you're into the spend down mode to be able to qualify for Medicaid. And then there's very few facilities in Arizona that actually take Medicaid. And that what happens is that you have a family member that may have nowhere to go. And also the cost of nursing care in the home is extremely expensive. Mm-hmm. It's more expensive having 24-hour nursing care in the home than is going to one of the fanciest assisted livings in town. By far, I've crunched the numbers. I've been there. I've looked at all this. And that's why we're sharing all this with you on the air tonight because we want to start getting you thinking about your business, your health, because your health is your business. Your life is your business. Why are we treating these things differently? Why is it that you research getting a car? Why is it research? Why is research into like the best deal on groceries when we're talking at potentially all the work that these people did? 30, 40, 50 years of work, and this is their accumulated savings that they're now having to live off. We want to cherish that money. We want to make sure that they have everything that they need for end-of-life issues. It's critically important, and Marie is giving us a lot of information here through her guides, through her books, to help us with this. And so, people, this is my holiday gift for you. Let's wake up and let's realize that there is a problem here, uh, a huge problem. And Marie, you just keep on giving us more and more great information here. So, okay, we're family dinner and we have elderly parents and some of us are a little tougher than others and some don't want to talk about anything. How do you even approach that conversation at dinner, like, how do you do it? How do you, that sit down or, or maybe a beer at the fireplace? How do you start saying, you know, we need to talk about this stuff? Sure, sure. You know, I actually wrote a blog on the, the topic of challenging everybody to look around the table over the holiday season this year and look at those smiling faces and all of the fond memories you have of those at the table. Yeah, amen on that. And then ask yourself, will they still be smiling when I'm in the hospital or gone? Right. Because that's where the estate planning motivation might come into play. Maybe that becomes your New Year's Eve resolution to say, you know, I know I've needed a will or a trust. We just haven't done it. Or what's even more common is we have one, but we drafted it when the kids were little. That was 20 years ago. And I've I've talked to folks that, that feel really surprised 
that I need to update it. I I haven't changed my wishes. Well, and then they look at it and say, oh, okay, the kids are gone. I don't need that guardian anymore. Or, oh, I forgot I listed so-and-so for this or that. But the other fact is that estate planning laws have changed umpteen Mm -hmm. times Mm -hmm. since 20 years ago. Yeah. So there's actually a movement, I'll call it for lack of a better word, called Death Over Dinner. And there's a book called Death Over Dinner, and it is it has gone worldwide, where they are basically encouraging people to talk about death. Death, taxes, and money are like three taboo topics that we just don't talk about. Right. Or we only talk about it to certain people. So as a certified financial planner, I hear that a lot, that I don't have anybody else I can talk to about this. You know, I have questions or I'm not sure. And if I want help, I, I don't want to tell my kids or I don't want to ask my girlfriends. Um, you know, that kind of thing. So unfortunately, this country needs to talk more about money. We need to be learning more about money from a young age throughout life. And that's the whole financial literacy <laughs> topic. But this death over dinner literally invites people. Lots of times they're strangers. They don't even know each other. And in small groups, they meet and they basically start talking about how they want to uh, remember someone that they have already lost. Hmm. And both positives and negatives come out of that. And the concept is to start thinking more about death from the standpoint of, okay, how do I want that to be different? Or maybe it was good and I don't want it to be different for me. And what do I need to do about that? And the answer a lot of times is, is communicate. Communicate to my family what my wishes would be, will be, want to be. And then, of course, from my standpoint, you need some things in writing. So there's some documents (laughs) and some homework that needs to be done. But the whole concept was to make it more of a talked about topic and have it go as we want it to go. And people don't even think about how do they want it to go, let alone talk about how do they want it to go. So I think it's a a good idea that uh, I, I hope gets legs and takes some traction. I think that's exciting because it's an uncomfortable subject. But I'll share with you April 3rd this year when I got that fatal phone call of, hey, Barb, you have melanoma and it's pretty serious. Mm. And it was an atypical melanoma. It wasn't anything like, you know, you suspect melanoma to look like. I'm a healthcare provider. I've diagnosed like many cases of melanoma. And I call my husband and I, I tell him what's going on. And I could tell he's an engineer. He's really sharp. He's like digging into the research like right away. And I'm digging into the research right away and get home. And both of us are kind of teary about it. And we have had discussion about death before just because we've been through his mom's death and his dad's death sure. and, and, and my parents' elderly and last month my mom's death that we talked about my death you know, and it was just so real. And one of the things I'll share is like I said to my husband jokingly, I said, you know, I am worth so much more dead than I am alive. <laughs> the husband usually says that, by the way. Yeah, sorry. You. So I go, you know, <laughs> so, a lot. so if something happens to me, I'm kind of a jokester. So if something happens to me, we're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. Mm-hmm. And then you start worrying about the finances of like, what happens if I can't work? What happens if I can't do this? 
What happens if I can't do that? And I was naive enough to think that, oh, you know, my family history, there's really none of this, none of that, none of that. So I don't need this policy. I don't need that policy. I'll be fine. Policy, I'll be fine. Now I look back and I go, oh, had I just gotten a couple of these living policies to be able to help with that before I got the diagnosis because, you know, everybody was saying, hey, your, your dad's 95, your mom's 90, you know, and there's there's no none of this kind of cancer really in my family. You're going to live forever. Wow. You get that phone call and all of a sudden you're like going, I may not live forever. And for a while there until I was able to get therapy and I looked at statistics and I talked to my doctors, I was like, there's a chance I might be around in five years, mm-hmm. you know. I have more hope now. But I'm still very realistic about that. And, and and that's the thing, everybody. I'm not trying to pity party me. I'm just saying that in one phone call, it could all change. So it's okay to start having those conversations about what would it be like if you weren't around? What, what it would it be like if I wasn't around? How can we financially make sure that the family continue moving forward and start looking? Because there are different things people can do while they're alive Mm -hmm. to prepare for these things, Mm -hmm. even at an earlier age. And at an early age, you can get an insurance policy for just about nothing. Yes. And the younger and healthier you are, the the closer to nothing it is, right? But it's it's just like um, whether it's estate planning or the life insurance, it's people too often just feel like, well, that's not going to happen to me. You know, I'm going to live a long time and I don't need that because it's not going to happen to me. And yet, uh, with life insurance, when they do surveys, most Americans know they need life insurance and or they need more than what they currently have. Right. And the number one reason people actually finally buy some life insurance is because someone asked them. Right. And young Hmm. families are are often the ones that really need the protection for a period of time. And that's the scariest what if their family would financially be left in the lurch if they didn't have something in place. Right. Um, you know, on the on the will side of things, again, we just we don't think that's going to happen to us. And the other paranoia is if I buy the life insurance policy or if I draft the will, I'm going to die. <laughs> well, newsflash, I, we're I, all going to die. So I've heard why that <laughs> so many times. We're just like we're jinxing ourselves. Closed doors and I'm like, no. Yeah. But at the same time, look at all the one way. And I go back to the one way accidents that we're having in the valley oh. right now. And and those kinds of random things that happen that you just never mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. what can happen. And not to, to you know take that for granted. Oh, wow. It's a lot to think about, isn't it? Do you think... This is more so in the United States. Do you think other countries are a little bit more financially literate and more, or is it this a worldwide problem? I'm sure it's a worldwide problem. You know, you have different countries where maybe it's a social socialist country where mm-hmm. they have a little bit more provided. They don't have to do as much planning for the health care, maybe, or the college or the the retirement. I mean, that's a big part of, you know, what we're spending our money on, all of those things. So that changes. Um you know, the procrastination factor because it's it's somewhat taken care of for them. But then, you know, their taxes are significantly higher, too. So there's always a trade-off. Right, <laughs> right. And sometimes I think uh, getting off the subject just a little bit, I I think the, the big call that I got out of my mom's experience was that kind of like when you get to a certain age as an elderly person, you're kind of like almost cast aside 
Does that make sense to you? Our society does a really <clears throat> horrible job of that exact attitude. I think more other cultures value the seniors than more than we do in this country. And, you know, I wish we'd even come up with a different word. I don't think none of us want to be classified as a senior. And right. what's the age anyway? Is it 50? Is it 55? Is it 65? And even when you're that age, you don't like that word. And, and you don't feel it either. No. A lot of, I mean. And I talk to lots of folks that live in retirement communities, and they're talking about some of them in a couple usually. One of them isn't in love with the setting. Mm-hmm. And they'll always say, there's nothing but old people around here. And of course, they're talking about people that are exactly their age. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> but they have this mindset. It's interesting, the movements that are happening right now with uh, ASU, as a matter of fact, is a big independent living facility is being built right on uh, Mill Avenue oh. so that people that are older can actually integrate into the university Excellent. and they can do, you know, go to share shows, their knowledge, share their knowledge, take classes Excellent. and things like that. And so I see there's a little bit of a movement that excites me uh, a lot to think that people, that's what people probably want from yes. exactly what you said, this 55 and old older parking. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're great for a lot mm-hmm. of people, but for a lot of people, it's like not quite ready to go there. And sometimes what happens is they miss that piece and they actually have to be in an independent or an assisted living facility. Sure. And those are very, very expensive folks. Very, oh my gosh. Very expensive. The money goes really fast then, but that's an excellent partnership to hear about because mm-hmm. when I started my independent practice, I chose a theme of what I really believe is in everyone's best interest from right. a financial wellness standpoint. And the theme is mind, money, and motion right. are also interrelated that the more you can do to keep your mind active and healthy, so socially interactive, the more you can do to stay in motion, so physically moving and, and staying active, those two things will not only help you feel and be able to, to do more things, feel better and, and do more things, but then life will cost you less because you're healthier. So that money piece is tied into that. And so you excite me because I'll tell you, when I, I don't want to use the word profile, but most <laughs> financial planners are so dry. And let's just get your numbers out. and Let's mm. see what you got to do. And, you know, you need to be less aggressive in the stock exchange. You need to do this, 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 and this. And what I see here is somebody that's such a whole person, a whole-minded person who's looking at the whole picture. So, oh, hmm, we're going to have to talk. This is, I'm this glad is fascinating. That. Thank you. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, part of that I would just, just add is uh, there are less than 20% in the CFP world, the Certified Financial Planner world, that are women. And just brain physiology-wise, women's brains see things more in total, you know, right. the cause and effect in the domino. Men's brains are wired to be very good at being very focused. And so I think that comes through oftentimes in conversations with uh, a male advisor, for example, versus a female advisor. It's it's very focused and number crunching oriented and maybe not as behavioral or relationship mm-hmm. oriented. So I I do think that's probably reflective of me just being a female partially as well. <laughs> Right on, right on. I really love the name again of your of your company, the Focus Point Planning. Mm-hmm. Thank Tell you. me a little bit more about how you came up with that title. You know that that was a process too, because 
I think anytime you tell someone that you're an advisor, I really wish we'd come up with a different name because it's it's a connotation that is not often well received and people think you're just looking for money and you want to invest. And that's a part of what we help people with is the investment piece because that's certainly part of planning for retirement for the most part. Um, but it's only part of the total financial planning mm-hmm. picture. So I was looking for something that didn't say investing mm-hmm. because there's much more to it than that. And yet I really want to help people focus on their life. What do they want to do in their life? What do they want out of their mm-hmm. life? What do they still want to be accomplishing? So that's where focus came into the picture. And then planning is it makes me laugh because I'm I'm one of those that that believes in the the statement that man plans and God laughs. So what am I doing with my entire life? I'm helping people plan. Well, but there are some things that you can make life go a little easier because you planned. And that's again some of the set it and forget it, right? The insurance things or or maybe you've set something up on automatic to to take care of accumulating towards that, or you've retitled your assets and updated your beneficiary designation. So that side of planning is still, I think, makes sense no matter what else really happens in your life, which you're not in control of. <laughs> exactly. So in your perfect world, at what age should somebody actually reach out to someone like you? I think it's a great graduation gift, actually, from high school or college mm-hmm. to get somebody understanding and on the right track. Not that you need to work with a, a financial planner ongoing at that right. young age, but to help you get started with some of the autopilot things that you can do. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a great starting point. But otherwise, anywhere in between there, it's a really nice, I call them 360 review to just take a big picture look around. It's not just about investments. Usually that's what people are, right, focused are thinking they're coming to talk to you about is, what do you think about this? Should I keep that? Is it doing well? And um, that's, that's part of the picture. All right. Um, but there's so much more to it. Right. And that's what I've learned tonight is that you kind of blew me away on the whole financial planning thing, because that's exactly how I've always thought about financial planning. Sure. Always. I love the fact that you spend time with people and get into understanding advanced directives, understanding living wills, understanding how that actually applies into this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting in the past with some of my younger staff members, I'd sit down and show them compounding interest. And I'd say to them, oh, man, if I just put $100 in the yes. bank at age 18, and I even if I put only $50 in the bank, moving on to my age now, do you know how much money that would be? It's crazy. Oh, yeah. And like, the, you're right. The, the, the key is, is to having that conversation at a really early age and just setting up and saying, hey, even if it's only 10 bucks, if you can do this forget you'd even have it. By the time you're 60, it's going to be X dollars and already you're going to be so far ahead of the game. And that's exciting. So basically what we think is, is that if you had to give America's financial literacy a grade A to F, where are we? I'd say a D. Okay, why? On the, on the whole, and there's actually, uh, the Financial Awareness Foundation has actually done like a grading scorecard of states just based on, do they even require financial literacy in our education system? And very few states do. 
So that organization is at least trying to get states to declare April as Financial Literacy Month, which Congress actually did that years ago. And October is National State Planning Awareness Month. Right. So if every state could at least acknowledge those two months and make those two months a little bit more of a media blitz, if you will, on trying to educate on any aspect of uh, financial literacy, we'd be that much further ahead. But there's no place that we really learn things. No. I'm a huge proponent of worksite financial wellness because that's the teachable moment. You're a captive audience. You are signing forms that say, yes, I'm going to participate in the 401k or no, I'm not. Although one really smart thing a lot of employers are doing is auto-enrollment. You're hired, you're auto-enrolled. You're Mm going to be contributing 4% and it's going to go into this and we're going to match it. And unless you sign a form to say otherwise, that's what's going to happen on your paycheck. You know, and that's really interesting because when I owned my own business, uh, we offered a 401k. So I was the operations person and I'd sit down with my employees when they started and every year and I talked to them about 401k and I talk about how we did a 3% match and it was free money. All you have to do is X, Y, Z and you get free money. It's like a, it's a, it's a guaranteed race. return. Guaranteed. Yes, ma'am. Guess how many people signed up for it? My partner, myself, and one other employee. Oh, who happened to be a healthcare provider that none of my medical assistants signed up for it. And, I, and, and as the employer who's, we're paying the bills, it's kind of like, I'm not going to go, you have to do it. It's kind of like, this was kind of our gift to you right. to start to this get you thinking. your benefit. And they didn't do it. Mm-hmm. And I have to do a big shout out to Insight Enterprises and Premise Health. They're the two companies that I work for. I work for Premise Health on site at Insight Enterprises, and they do an amazing job with all of us trying to help us understand financial literacy, 401ks, health insurance, why HSA plans are a gift. And I talk about that in my book about why it's a gift and why every single person should go HSA plan, pre-tax money, come on people. And it goes year after year Mm -hmm. after year after year. Mm -hmm. And by the time you retire, you may actually have that nest egg for that, that when Medicare isn't paying and you may not even have to have a supplement, you know, the, that kind of thing. And so it, it's it's just amazing to me how companies are starting to do that. And I'm lucky that I'm affiliated with two that do an amazing job. And they reach out to us on a regular basis about, have you looked at this? Have you looked at that? Fidelity, have you looked at your financial health? Have you thought about this? You only put this much in your HSA last year. Would you like to put this much into it? And so this is the time of year when um, I'm with my staff because I'm the health center manager and I have, you know, I'm more than willing to sit down and talk to them and go, you know, this is a really good deal. You, you guys really should do it. That's awesome. They need that cheerleader mm-hmm. proponent in the work site to help yeah. remind them that this is for your benefit. Human beings need to hear things seven times before we take action. So it's great that they're dripping on them with all of these little bits of pieces of information and reminders. I remember talking to a 25-year-old at a 401k education meeting They were either signing up or declining. He was declining. He was 25 years old. Mm. And so I said, and why is it that you're you're choosing to not participate in the 401k? Oh, I'm too young. I said, oh, and how how old were you thinking that you you would plan to start participating? Oh, maybe in 10 years when I'm 35. And that's when I got out the compounding sheet, you know, that showed you just give up the 10 best potential compounding years of your entire life that you can never get back and will have to save more or attempt to invest more aggressively, et cetera. Um, So that's why I've been thrilled 
to hear that these auto-enrollment 401ks are becoming a trend, as is the auto-increase. You start at 4%, Mm -hmm. it's going to bump you up 1% every year unless you change otherwise. So they're trying to help protect people from themselves, basically, (laughs) by putting some of these things in place, which is really what we need. Because look at pensions. They're they're a dinosaur. They are are not being offered. They're grandfathering those that have them and not offering them to new employees in most companies because it's a very expensive benefit. Right. And, and year so after year to continue yeah. paying on those. You so know. if it is to be, it's up to me, right, is what's right. happening with these. Your 401k is your attempt at a pension for yourself. Right. So people have to pay themselves first, right? We've all heard that exactly. a zillion times, but it's so true, even though it's cliche. Wow. <laughs> So tonight, Marie's just been amazing. Think of all the things that we've covered. We've talked about some basic tools for financial planning. We've talked about, you know, how to get your house in order, how to protect your loved ones, how to give the biggest gift that you can give to somebody, your wishes if something terrible would happen, that reality check. It's, do you have some final words for us tonight, Marie? I think the whole concept of financial planning is overwhelming to folks. Mm -hmm. And so it's like the old joke, how do you eat an elephant? The answer is one bite at a time. And so any one area that is personally digging at you, most most people will will be able to tell you right away, oh, I know life insurance, or oh, I know my 401k, or oh, I know I should be doing a will. Whatever it is that's eating away at you, you can Google. Right. That, that one subject area and make a deal with yourself that you're going to rebalance annually or look at your allocation or go see an estate planning attorney, which I should clarify, I see too many people having a friend or a church member or somebody they know that's a lawyer but is not an estate planning attorney. They need to specialize in estate planning mm-hmm. for you to have them draft your documents. So I encourage people not to be tempted to have you know, somebody who Friend isn't do it. do it for them, whether they're charging them or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but just pick that one thing to do something with, because every little change makes a big difference in the long run. That's a great take-home message. So in the spirit of the holiday season and for New Year's resolutions, I hope that people reach out to Marie, reach out to me, and tell us what that resolution is going to be. Let's get those wills going. Let's get... Going with that 401k, let's let's just make this next year an amazing year where you feel at night less stress, you're sleeping better, you don't have to worry as much about the future because you're taking ownership of it rather than it taking ownership of you. This is Barb Regis, Ask the PA, Best of Health Radio, Your Health is your business. Uh, I would like to just let you know that my book was published, Surviving the Business of Healthcare, Knowledge is Power, and it's available on Amazon. And Marie has her amazing books out there, and they're available on Amazon. We've got your amazing itty-bitty before financial checklists, 15 important actions to complete before the loss of a loved one. And so please get that information. Great to be back in the airways at Phoenix Business Radio X. Have a great evening. Until next time.